Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned on a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, not one, but two amazing guests, Phoebe Bridgers and Connor Oberst of the brand new Better Oblivion Community Center that have just put a, a surprise record for everyone. And guess what? Surprise, they decided to come on Turned Out a Punk. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can send an email to turnedoutapunk at gmail.com. You can also, turnedoutapunk podcast, sorry, at gmail.com. You can also find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. If you'd like to get in touch with the show over Facebook, there's a Facebook page run by my brother and amazing guest booker this week, um, hustler extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all your help. He does that Facebook page. He can get you in touch with me and we can communicate that way, whatever. We also have a Tumblr page, but I don't know how much of that's going to be flagged for content these days. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, um, oh, the way, the way to support the show. The best way to support the show is by um, subscribing to it on your platform of choice, writing a review and rating it, or above all that, tell your friends, let everyone you know, you know that you enjoy this podcast. And uh, yeah, like, uh, I'll write a review on iTunes, um, uh, rate it. Subscribe to it. You can hear from my voice. It's all blown out. It's because I'm on tour right now with my band, Fucked Up. We're just wrapping this up. So if you're in Germany, check fuckedup.cc for the last few tour dates. I think they're sold out, though. We're right now in Holland, Amsterdam, one of the greatest cities in the world, in my opinion. I bought some amazing records at Independent Outlet, a store I bought records at 20 years ago. And I got some good records there again on this trip. Uh, I've had a great time, but I could not stop from bringing you this episode, which is a fantastic episode. A lot of people busted really hard to make this happen because I'm on tour and there are um, Phoebe and Connor Obers, of course, are on a worldwide press jaunt that's incredible from the Colbert Report to like all the big newspapers everywhere. But they decided to come on Turned Out a Punk, which I'm very, very um blessed that they did. I don't know. Um, stoked that they did because we had a really fun chat as you will hear in a second, but I got to say Chloe Walsh, Amanda Pitts and Shane Greenberg. Thank you for all your help making this happen. And then of course, Connor and Phoebe. Now, Phoebe, of course, a member of X boy genius X, a band that also features former guest and an incredible performer in her own right. An amazing episode, if you want to check this one out. Julian Baker, who was on a couple weeks ago. Connor Oberst, you might have heard from uh, Bright Eyes and like Monsters of Folk. And he's been, in, he's been in some projects that were pretty famous over the years as well. Both of these people are genius songwriters. Completely different generations, but brought together by a mutual love of the replacements to make music. And my gosh... They decided to come on Turn Out of Punk. This is a fun one. We go back and forth. Of course, there's going to be room for additional episodes with both of these people because of the format. But uh, I think we have a good time. We have a good time. There's some cool bands that I think you all need to check out that we we name drop on this thing. Um, yeah, you got to. Yeah, it's, it's a fun episode. Uh, so I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I'm going to give my voice a nice rest. And then after the show, I'm going to explain what's coming up. 
uh, for the uh, massive, massive turn out of punk anniversary show that's coming up in the near future. And I also got to say huge, huge thank you, huge, huge shout out to my friends at Vans and House of Vans who just did an amazing party in Detroit. Wish I could have been there, but I'm on the road right now on tour uh, who have supported this podcast and let me book whoever I want to book so I can book anyone and have a great time with this thing so thank you vans for you know letting me do this thing not in my own pocket anymore which is very much appreciated so anyway i'm gonna give my voice a rest now i'm not gonna ramble on anymore but i'll be back at the end to explain what's coming up for episode 200 so sit back relax and enjoy phoebe bridgers and connor oberst on turned out a bong oh my god my throat Connor, Phoebe, Phoebe, Connor, thank you both so much for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Well, it's Stoked. a true, a tr- well, it's a true honor to have you both on the show because the the new surprise record is fantastic, and uh, but also Connor, I've talked to you many years ago in a much more restrained environment at my old job as a VJ. Phoebe, I've never spoken to yourself, and I just can't wait to dive into this um, because there's two of you. I'm going to have to pick someone to start. So I picked a number in my head between one and 10 and whoever gets closest to it will be the person who starts. Is that fair? Is that okay with everyone? Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. Awesome. So the number in my head is chosen. Uh, Phoebe, what's your number? Seven. Mine is four. The number was five. Yeah. I will post a picture. I will post a picture of me holding up the number with the number five on it to prove that I did not lie. You seem, tr- you seem trustworthy. We'll be- we believe you. I've got kids. You know, if I'm not trustworthy, I've really headed down the wrong path for the future generations. <laughs> um, but I wanna, uh, I'm going to start it off the way they all start off, which is, in this case, Connor, how'd you get into punk? Yeah. Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, yeah, I guess uh, my oldest brother you know was really into music and i he really loved the clash and i think that that's when i first kind of heard that term used but we also would go there was a there was like one cool record store in my town that's no longer there sadly r.i.p called the antiquarium and the guy that worked there he kind of called everything punk rock that he thought was good you know what i mean so it was it was this is kind of like early 90s so this was like kind of pre even like i don't know like indie rock wasn't really a term but i think a lot of that stuff that they were playing or like i was hearing in the you know it was like pretty wide like i think of it does i guess it doesn't when i think of those records i got into then it wasn't like i don't know maybe what would be conjured up by like the word punk rock like uncle tupelo or something that's like Mm -hmm. i guess that's punk rock you know absolutely absolutely i think that's the thing is it's like it gets codified at a certain point, but it, it's all, it's such a broad umbrella term. Yeah, totally. So I think I always just think of anything that's like, you know, a little rough around the edges and maybe a little subversive in its ideas. It's like, you know, there's, you know, Woody Guthrie's punk rock. It's like a lot of shit's punk rock, mm-hmm. you know? How about yourself, Eve? Do you remember the first time you came across it? Dude, honestly, probably Avril Lavigne. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I remember hearing Avril Lavigne on the radio and then, like, going into my brother's room and stealing his cargo shorts. <laughs> and, like, I wore them to school every day. Yeah. In, like, 
you know, fifth grade. Um, but yeah, but I, I kind of had a similar relationship to it. My mom is really cool and showed me a lot of my favorite music. So then she would take me to this festival in San Francisco called Hardly Strictly. And we saw the Knitters, which is like X's uh, country band. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. And then she was like, well, actually, they're this punk band called X. And they were like one of my favorite punk bands when I was a kid. But yeah, pro- unfortunately, my entry level is probably Avril. But then I, it got pretty cool after that, I think. Avril's but, cool. Yeah, Avril's cool. Avril's cool. Have you heard her like saying that she's not punk when she's like a baby? <laughs> it's know. so good. The interview, she's like, she's like, it's not punk to call yourself punk. It's great. <laughs> it's funny because like she actually, when when she got the band, kind of when when things started going and, and she had the band with her, all the band were people from different punk bands and screamo bands, like members of Grade and and all sorts of stuff in there. Um, so it's, yeah, it makes sense. It, it goes deep. There are some Avril Lavigne punk connections, and much like you know Avril Lavigne and the Clash, those are two blips where like you know, underground music kind of bubbled up to the mainstream and, and drew a bunch of people in. Like you kind of need those things to happen in order to, you know, feed the next generation of kids. For sure. sure yeah. Um, Connor, where did you kind of go from like, you know, going to this record store and getting into this sort of insurgent stuff? Like what was your, you know, obviously you had an older brother who was kind of into it. Were you going to concerts already or were you like aware of, you know, the, like stuff happening locally? Yeah. Um, I would go, I saw a lot of concerts, but weirdly, mostly like local. And if it was touring bands, it was pretty like, yeah, pretty like DIY, like small bands. Like we would go, there was one kind of like all ages place called the Cog Factory that's also gone now. But we would, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it probably, I don't know, like maybe fit like 100 people or something. It's just like a black box, you know, shitty PA. Actually, I had a PA that we, like in high school, my bands would practice and the guys that ran the club like knew that I kind of had like an okay PA and occasionally they would like call me and be like, our shit's broken, like bring your <laughs> PA down. So like I got, you know, like I, yeah, like I did like, you know, quote unquote sound for like Brainiac once with my like PA, you know, and like just what, yeah, we'd see like, I don't know, I saw a lot of like, um, local shows i guess and uh yeah a lot of it i think would be considered punk i mean omaha was like the the scene was kind of so small that um everything you know it wasn't weird to have like kind of like acoustic you know acoustic person on the same bill as like a total punk band or like a you know metal band or whatever i mean there there just wasn't it's not like there was enough places to play that like it got very like tribal or like divided. So I think, you know, that was kind of cool about it. I think all the music sort of existed and it wasn't a lot of competition. It was like everyone was supportive. So yeah, I think of, I think I did see a bunch of, bunch of punk back then. It's kind of amazing too. Cause when that, when, you know, the senior out of in, in yourself and like all, you know, faint cursive, everyone starts kind of getting attention on sort of a national and international level. It's, I guess it's reflective of the fact that it wasn't such a uniform sonic scene. The fact that all these bands sound completely different yet are all tied to the same place and and scene. Yeah, totally. I I mean, that was just it. It was like, you know, the, the, I guess the connection was just that we were all friends and in the same, from the same little whatever town, you know? So that was enough. We, we didn't have to like, you know, 
sound like each other necessarily or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, uh, it's cool. Uh, Phoebe, how about yourself? Like, you know, once you get your, you know, Avril Lavigne, you kind of find out about this, you know, you're, you see the knitters, I guess that's like an amazing jumping in point. Uh, where'd you kind of go with yeah. this newfound knowledge that you're armed with? Um, I grew up really close to a venue in LA called The Smell. Oh yeah. Which it's an appropriate name for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I went to a lot of shows and then I played in this band, like my best friend growing up. Um, like we were friends when we were little kids, we were on a soccer team. And then like first day of high school, we recognized each other. And her name's Haley, and she had, like, shaved off her eyebrows and was wearing, like, platform shoes, and she was so fucking scary. Like, everyone was scared of her, but I knew her, and then we got super close in high school. She was, like, the scary goth kid, Um, and then she started a band called Sloppy Jane um, that I started playing bass in, And, and yeah, we played, we would have to, like, drive two hours with a PA in the back of our car because i had a similar thing where i was the kid with the pa yeah so we drive it to like Reseda and play in like someone's basement um with like their dad like standing weirdly in the corner like uncomfortable that everybody's drinking or whatever um we played with so many funny bands we played with this band called girl pusher which is basically like a drummer and then this like tiny white girl screaming like rap basically but like it was so cr- yeah, and she keeps like pushing him over um yeah it was but she kept that, pushing the drummer over yeah she mm-hmm. was just like really mad but in kind of like a you know i don't know not not as much of like oh it's punk it's a show it's gonna be good she was like really upset just unhinged. <laughs> she was unhinged <laughs> um yeah but, but i can't think of a more appropriate it. name for a band yeah, yeah totally and so we're sorry some of the other bands you were playing with at that time i guess it's like what were, what, sorry, what was Sloppy Jane sound like? So They're awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm going to let Connor describe it. <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard some of the records are just, I mean, it does kind of like. It we is, started kind it is of. Very, it is like punk. Yeah, know, we sure. started kind of like more punk as as like kind of just straight to the bloodstream, like fucking like three chords and screaming and but like pop melodies. And then it kind of morphed over time i think that's why they needed a better bassist for sure it like morphed into this more like complex weird like art project almost like now she's doing these tours they're like a nine piece they live in brooklyn and she's doing these tours with her band where they play strings in like caves oh that's yeah, awesome they record they're recording caves only yeah dude it's <laughs> insane um but yeah that's core. fucking punk rock right? yeah it is punk <laughs> Oh, Connor, what was your first band called? Like, what was that? Have, Sorry? Uh, like, I know you got pulled up on stage to perform, but did you have like a band before that? Did you have like a... Oh, uh, yeah. Like, my, I had a band called Commander Venus in high school. And we like, um, we actually ended up, I mean, we made like two records and we ended up weirdly like signing with this label, uh, this New York label called Grass Records. And like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Put up 15. Like, out, yeah, yeah. They had a bunch of bands. Like, yeah, like... The Wrens and Brainiac, and there was a band. Actually, the reason we kind of knew about them is there was a band called Mousetrap from Omaha that was on that label too. And yeah, they actually put out a bunch of cool music. But um, so uh, yeah, we kind of we put out one record ourselves, and then we made one record for them. And so like I, 
that was my first experience like going to south by southwest and like we actually recorded our second record like out here in new york like or in new jersey at this studio called water music i don't know if that still exists but yeah so it was kind of it was my yeah it was my first band i guess uh tim casher from from cursive was in the band with me so it was like me and tim and rob nanzel who like runs Sad- or saddle creeks basically his label he stole our label so he owns that label now uh, no, uh yeah cool. it, it's funny because like uh grass records to me is one of those weird labels that it almost springs up and it's like a it was like a an already established indie powerhouse like it didn't really like seem to come from anywhere to me like what was the deal with that label was it a subsidiary well it was i think it was like part of like Dutch East India or whatever that distri- distribution company was. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, this, this woman Camille was like the A&R and she was really cool and kind of crazy. Um, but she was very sweet. Like we, we just sent her, like when we made our first CD or whatever, we like, we, we got, um, it was like right after like Valentine's day and me and Tim went to like, target or whatever or like the grocery store and we bought all the old um the like heart-shaped boxes with the candy mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then we like put our cd in there and like wrote love letters to like our favorite labels so it was like sub pop and matador and grass because of like we liked the bands and camille like bless her heart like opened up the thing and like listened to it and um called my parents house because that's where i live because i was 14 and she's like called the landline and uh she was talking to me and when she figured out that i was she thought that i was a woman and like an adult because of the way my voice sounded yeah because you're a kid and, and then when she figured out i was a 14 year old boy she like screamed and was like what the fuck and uh <laughs> we're, yeah weirdly got excited and uh sign us that was cool that's awesome yeah that label is like uh one of those deep cut labels that i'm slowly trying to collect all the records on like the germs tribute like weird records on that thing yeah they had tons of bands i mean there was a lot of bands i mean yeah i feel like um yeah for me it was like the wrens and brainiac and sunbrain which is like was dave dondero's first band and um yeah, there was so many bands. Yeah, 15, they were on there. Um, yeah. Toadies. Toadie, yeah. It was a bunch, a bunch of bands. Um, Very weird not, label. Yeah, they were pretty eclectic. <laughs> but I would say they were, they were. I mean, you would consider them like a punk label, right? I guess I would. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's also fascinating that both, you know, you know, and Phoebe, you too, like coming to that scene, the smell scene, that's like, that to me is emblematic of what punk rock is, where... You know, there's all these bands playing there kind of ostensibly under the banner of punk rock, but sonically, no one's trying to copy anyone's shit and no one's playing by the same playbook. Yeah, for sure. What were some of the bands that you kind of, you know, when you first started going there that really, you know, inspired you or or bands that you were like into? Well, I know No Age is like kind of from there. They would play every Mm -hmm. once in a while. That was cool. Um, But then most of the time it was just like, you know, people like us, like. (laughs) <laughs> people, pe- people would come to the show because there was a show happening not like for a specific band um yeah 
But I remember Harmony Tividad from uh, Girlpool. She had like a folk punk band for a minute that would play the same shows as us. And there was also this other venue called Narnia with a G. Okay. Uh, that, that's oh a tight God. name. That was rough. <laughs> um, and that was even crazier because it would just be, it would be like occasional real bands, but then sometimes it would just be like someone like screaming their poetry and you're like, oh wait, this is the show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like other smell bands that I've seen. Um, who else? Uh, I don't like all those like lollipop sort of bands. Um, yeah. Wow. Can't think of like any band names. That's <laughs> no, cool. it, it, it's cool because it smells like. No, no, don't worry. I'm never prepared for this podcast at all. So, it, but it's, <laughs> it's it's funny though with the the you know once again like you're saying it's like a real crapshoot at the smell like who's going to be there any given night you know and especially at different time periods when. You know, it wasn't like the 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 hot time for like a bunch of bands kicking. It would be, yeah, like everything from Girl Pusher to No Age. Yeah, totally. When did you start just you know playing music? Like, what was the what was the impetus? Did you grow up in a household where music was kind of like always present? Yeah, my mom was like obsessed with music for sure. She was kind of into like Laurel Canyon singer songwriter scene, um, mm-hmm. but it led very easily into punk rock and into like you know stuff that i would end up really resonating with uh and yeah she like made me get piano lessons and then uh oh someone's at the door uh she made us she made me get piano lessons and then uh i hated piano like so much and so i like rebelled and like wanted to take guitar when i was 10 um so yeah she started playing at 10 years old well i think i like a guitar i think i learned like three chords and then uh didn't really start playing until i was like 13 or 14 well that's still three more than i know to this day um <laughs> what were like what at 10 years old what were some of the stuff that you were listening to? was it just like stuff your mom was playing you or like what were some of the things that were making you kind of want to play guitar um hmm. guitar specifically probably like Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, like Neil Young. Mm-hmm. Neil Young, I thought was super punk rock. I remember the first time he I ever, I but I remember wanting like one of the first riffs I ever learned was for "Hey Hey My My." Mm-hmm. I was so pumped! It's just like the super super dirty guitar on Russ Never Sleeps. Um, yeah, I thought it was like so badass. And then of course I like love Nirvana. I like, I found like a really disturbing like photo of me when I think probably this summer I discovered Nirvana, where it's just like. I was like, oh, I'm just going to be me, but like greasy. Uh, <laughs> but I'm like 10, so it's just like goofy. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so how about yourself, Connor? When did, when did you first start playing music? Like, were your brothers playing music too? Yeah, my oldest brother, Maddie, played, always played in bands. And uh, my dad played in band, or had a, yeah, he played music. Not professionally, but he was like... Um, he had a band that would like to make extra week money on the weekends and stuff. They'd like play weddings and things like cover band basically. But we always, yeah, there was always guitars and piano and um, yeah, my brother's band would like practice in our basement and uh, na- older neighbor kids like next door had a band um, actually like some of the guys that would later be in cursive and stuff. So 
yeah, I was lucky to kind of have a lot of people to tag along with. I was like the novelty, like little kid that they <laughs> drug around with them. So, yeah. He must have been, he must have been super jealous when at 14 you end up getting signed to like this legit record label with your first <laughs> band. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it's when I think back to how it all happened, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Like, um, Cause it was like all of our friends, everyone was just very, um, I guess just very motivated to like make music and get out there. I mean, we, you know, everyone toured and all the played anywhere we could play and put out our own records. And, um, yeah, like Mo Mike Mogus who plays in bright eyes with me, him and, uh, Ted Stevens, who's in cursive. They had a band called lullaby for the working class that, was like our first friends bands that they signed to like this label bar none and they like mm -hmm. were first band of our friends to like tour europe and you know they really like had it going on and then um obviously like all the shit casher was doing and then cursive you know they kind of signed i forget they signed to some label what was it called like crank or something or i don't know was it crank? yeah that's what it was they definitely did like something with crank, but maybe they were on a, I don't know. It's like, we were all on different, like we all thought we had to sign to other labels, but we were like, at the same time, we were still putting out our own like seven inches. And I remember like, even like the commander Venus record, like saddle Creek put out the vinyl, you know, like we pay like we paid for our own vinyl. And so we kind of had like the, the label was kind of like, in conjunction with us being on other labels. And then at some point we realized like, oh, we can just put out, just actually be on our own label. And so, you know, by like 2000, we, we kind of all like came home and started doing the label, like for real, I guess the Saddle Creek stuff. Do you think it's because it's like, you know, you mentioned Omaha and I'm trying to think of old Omaha punk bands, like digital sex. I can think, and I'm trying to think of some oh, other ones. But, damn. That's deep. Dude, that band's good. That band's incredible. That seven inch and that LP are like I think two of the most underrated American independent records. That's awesome, man. That'd be some happy campers with hear this podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but like I, I, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like there weren't as many bands that kind of made it out until till your kind of generation. Yeah, there was. Well, Mousetrap was like I'm saying this band. Yeah. That, I guess people have kind of forgotten about now, but they were on, they were on grass and they toured, you know, we thought of them as like successful, but I don't know how much they were. Oh. And then of course, uh, your boys, uh, three eleven, they're from Omaha. my boys. They, uh, Definitely. <laughs> they, uh, they went, they actually kind of cheated. They like moved to LA and like got signed and famous. So we always kind of thought of them as like, Tats, you know, like they 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 bailed on Omaha, which is fine. I mean, I did too, like as soon as I could, basically. But yeah, um, so yeah, I I guess not a lot of sort of um, big name people. Um, well, like Matthew Sweet, do you remember him? He was from Lincoln. oh god, he yeah. was from Lincoln, but yeah, he yeah. also played in another. I'm trying to remember his band because he was on. He was in some other band before that too. Anyway, but uh, I, I digress there. But like, I think it's it's kind of like you know, obviously Los Angeles, where you know you're from, Phoebe and, and Omaha, it seems like very different kind of musical environments to kind of come out of it. It's almost like 
Whereas in LA, there's a lot of stuff coming to you in Omaha. You almost have to bring what you're doing to other people. Yeah, we definitely like, I mean, we would get, like I said, like kind of smaller, like show touring bands. And we, I definitely saw some bands I really loved that way. But if we wanted to see like a big band, you were definitely driving to like either Lawrence or Chicago, you know, like when I, I, mm-hmm. I went to see like the cure when I was like 15, but it's like you drove eight hours to Chicago. If you wanted to like see the cure aren't like coming to Omaha. Um, so yeah. Phoebe, how about yourself? Like, you know, you're obviously from Los Angeles. There's a lot more bands coming to you. Did you find it, you know, when you're trying to get your own sound out there, is it, is it easier or is it harder because there's so much competition coming? I, I mean, I think it's way different. I think I definitely felt super competitive. Like, so many of my friends... And I went to an arts high school. So, mm. so many of my, of my friends were, like, dropping out and going on tour. And that's, like, all I wanted to do. Um, and I was super jealous. And then, you know, this band Kitten, my friend Chloe was in. They got signed when she was, like, 14 or something. Uh, something insane. Uh, and yeah, I, I was just like super jealous. All I wanted to do is like get signed and escape. Um, but it was also awesome because yeah, because I didn't have to drive super far to see my favorite bands. I grew up going to like FYF or, you know, like Mm -hmm. the weird, like there's a punk festival in inside the echo, uh, in LA. That was pretty rough. That sucked. (laughs) Um, I saw bands I loved. I saw like Vivian Girls. I saw Ariel Pink, and that was really cool. But then also, I saw like someone just like projecting really disturbing footage. Over, I-, I was too young to leave too. I was like fifteen, and they were like, "Okay, well, no ins and outs for under twenty-one." Um, so I was like stuck there from like two p.m. to two a.m. Oh. <laughs> it was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing kills a, a fun punk rock vibe, but by, by not being allowed to leave. Yeah, like hiding in the corner and like eating pizza by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Vivian Girls too, like that's a band that I think, you know, doesn't get the credit they deserve as a punk rock band that kind of went out there and, and carved like a path for themselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, they were awesome. Um, yeah, that was like, I, I definitely like stood at the lip of the stage during that show. It was like, a, I was like a cartoon of myself watching like all these badass women play music i was like damn someday man <laughs> <laughs> well when did you like so you're, you're playing in this band when you, when did you decide like i gotta do something different i gotta do something for me now well i kind of al- always was like i was playing in my own bands um like i only played bass in slobby jane i was playing mm-hmm. in my own bands with some embarrassing names we had a like a version that was phoebe and the he-men that was really weird that's uh, a cool name I- Einstein's Dirty Secret or Einstein's Dirty Secret. Thanks yeah. for bringing that one up. Really appreciate it. <laughs> That's a great name. Um, yeah, and we played like the Troubadour and more kind of like, you know, pay to play, rough, <laughs> fucking like shitty promoter venues. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we would play like at the same, the same night as, or there was this band called Hazel, which now it was basically like the musical stylings of my friend Angelica Garcia, who's super badass. Um, and she plays under her own name now, but uh, but yeah, we like there were just a bunch of bands that all kind of like circulated around my high school, Loxa. Um, like Heim is from there, from Loxa. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was cool. 
Is that like a pay to play thing? Like, is that common in Los Angeles to have to do yes, those dude. types of shows? It's yes, like the whiskey. I don't know if the Troubadour still does it, but it would be like you can just like, yeah, you can pay to play pretty much anywhere. Um, so brutal. Whoa. Wait, so you're yeah. saying I could pay the whiskey and then go cosplay a germ show? Yeah, dude, do it. <laughs> oh my god, I know what I'm doing when I win that lottery now. <laughs> Um, what you mentioned earlier, going to play those out of town shows really early on and doing those basement shows. Could you like, is there, was there a sense of like a, a common scene that were going on in these places too? Or is it very much like what was going on in Los Angeles and just like a real mix of stuff every place you're going? Kind of. There's kind of like a Topanga Canyon scene of like folk punk um, or like West Side. Like there was a thing called Family Ride. Oh my God. It was like, I grew up in the era of like everybody riding fixies everywhere. Um, okay. And so there was like a like a like a ride around LA where you could ride your bike to like 711 and see a band. Um and there were like eight bands in one night. Uh that was pretty weird. Um and yeah, it was kind of like folk punky almost. But uh my like boyfriend at the time was in a band called Pills. That was really funny. They like he like graduated MIT for math. He was like very smart dude but he was like one of the first people i knew who ever got ableton um yeah pretty funny uh but yeah there was kind of there were like a lot of scenes happening at once and loxa was kind of the same that my high school like you could just you could sit at the goth table you could like be in the country scene there's a country scene called like the grand old echo um thing that would happen every sunday at the echo where it's just like kind of you know ye old white dudes with their guitars like singing Waylon Jennings songs um but yeah it was kind of like pick your poison uh and then when we would go play and like Reseda and stuff that was always that was like trash can fires kind of scenes mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that's riding your bike to 7-eleven to see a band play sounds like an awesome thing you get a slurpee it in a was band. awesome I saw Crystal Castles in like a similar in like some sort of family ride related thing and like the back of some weird place that was cool Whoa, so they'd like they'd actually have bigger bands do this thing too? Occasionally, like secretly. Um I think I saw classics weirdly like that too. Yeah, it was like um yeah. Oh, that sounds so awesome. You know? <laughs> I was <laughs> pretty do... tired on my bike at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, I, I guess bummed. that's the problem. Yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess it's a lot of work to kinda it's much easier to just go to like a venue and then have all the yeah. bands just come to you. Exactly. Uh, Connor, did you guys tour in that very first band that you were doing? Like you said, you meant played South by Southwest, but how much actual like touring touring did you do? We we toured um, a good bit, like, but it was always, you know, I was still in high school, so it was obviously just like in the summer times, and um, I mean, I think I talked my way into like going to South by Southwest and going to like CM. That was back when CMJ was still happening mm-hmm. in New York, so. Yeah, my parents were real cool letting me skip school to do that sometimes. But and then in the summer we we would usually go because um, the other the other guys in the band were you know all like five years older than me or something. So they were you know whatever they were like nineteen or twenty or something. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So when I think back, that was kind of crazy that my mom would let me like uh you know get in a van with 
I, she must have really trusted. I think she did trust. Wait, I love quick. the story of your friends in a band like breaking down and just staying at your house for like weeks, <laughs> and they were vegans and yeah. made your mom like cook vegan food for them. <laughs> yeah, what, what band was that? My that was my friend Stephanie Steph Stephanie Druden Sinsney. She has another name because she got married now, but uh, she played bass with me. She's played in Bright Eyes a bunch and. Good life and a bunch of bands, but yeah, I knew I met her when she was touring with her band, like when she was really young. I was probably fifteen, and she was probably like, I don't know, seventeen or something. But she she grew up in L.A. or like the Valley, and uh, yeah, her band came through like middle of winter. I was still in high school. Their van broke down, and then there was probably I think there was like five or six of them. They literally just lived at my parents' house for like a month. And I like, and like sleeping on the floor, and I'd like get up and like go to high school, and I like come home, and like there they were, and they, and they like yeah, they couldn't fix their van, um, they had no money, they were that was the first time I ever heard the word vegan. I was like, I don't know, that sounds like something from Star Trek. I don't know what they're talking about. And my sweet mother would like be like, I got this chicken. Is that vegan? You know, and like, uh, <laughs> and like she eventually figured it out, but. Yeah. Well, was, um, your mom has the patience of a saint. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, she was she was good. We always kind of we always had like pretty open door policy when it came to bands touring and uh yeah, that was just it was always a good good spot for people to crash. When you like when you're going out on those tours, what kind of scene did you guys get playing because i guess around that time there's like that epifat stuff that's happening in california there's like some chicago stuff happening but like you know it feels like uh it was you know pretty disparate around america at that time different places yeah i mean it was it was real random i mean (laughs) as far as like the bands we would end up playing with and the places we would end up playing i mean we would play just anywhere so it was a mixture of like kind of legit sort of like punk promoters like you know all ages spaces to like just dumb bar band situations where no one cared at all um eventually we kind of got a real booking agent and then we would play like you know college shows and you know we'd start it started being more like what you would think of now as like going on tour but i feel Mm -hmm. like i feel like the early days were just like who the hell knew what was going to happen. It was like people we had met and this is kind of pre-internet. So it was like people that had, that had like come through Omaha and we had like befriended one of the bands and they lived in whatever town and like piecemealing like, you know, tours, but your tour might be like, you know, you might have like five days off in like, <laughs> like Kalamazoo <laughs> while you're waiting for the show, you know, or whatever it was. Yeah, it was it was very, very random. And yeah, just like sleeping on people's floors and, you know, the whole deal. So, um, yeah, I can remember actually one at one time actually with Steph, Steph's band, too. We she helped us get a show in L.A. once and we played. I don't even I think we played like Spaceland or we played some place or maybe it wasn't even Spaceland. It was like we played some random spot. And then after the show this person came up to me and was like was like oh you should be playing at like what i can't remember the name like some other like the library or whatever the name of the other club was and like 
that's where all the emo bands play. And I was like, the what? He's like, all the emo bands. And I, I like distinctly remember that was the first time I'd ever heard that word. And I had no yeah. idea what it meant. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then I had to like ask someone. I was like, what does that mean? And of course, got very different answers to what that meant. I still do. And I don't know what it means, but um, yeah, I guess it means having emotion in your music, but um, it seems like unless you're Devo, you kind of have, you should have emotion in your music, but um, yeah. You're right. Devo's the know. only band that's like anti-emotion in their music. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. Yeah. Emo, I remember it would have been, you know, a, you know, pre-codification of that, you know, where it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's 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 uh, the stuff coming from D.C. It's like, no, no, no. It's the stuff coming from California and ebullition stuff. And it's yeah, I mean, it's very I, amorphous. I always I like in my mind, it was that it's like it's like a sound. And this is just my take on it. But it was like I always think of it as like Sunny Real Estate and all the bands that sounded like that, that kind of like <laughs> like loud, hard, loud like stretching out the words to like, you can't even know what the word is. Cause it's like they mm-hmm. hold the words out so long and that kind of like, <laughs> you know, like that's what I, and like, there was a tons of that shit, like in the nineties, like in the Midwest and everywhere. Um, I mean, sunny day was from like Seattle or something. Right. But anyway, yeah. like that's what I sort of think of, but I know it goes back before that. Like people will be like, Rights of Spring and, you know, whatever, like Minor Threat. I mean, but is that punk rock? Is that, I don't know. But I remember reading a really well-worded essay in Max and Rock and Roll and Someone's Call about how Black Flag was the first emo band. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's very, like, once you get in the weeds, it's kind of hard to know what to call anything and, like, the genres of genres. And then it turned into, like, you know, Hot Topic like you know guyliner like huge pop bands was like mm-hmm. emo you know mm-hmm. which also didn't make any sense and then all my music was also emo even though we didn't sound like any of that at all we just were we we had like weird acoustic guitars and you did wear guyliner i did wear some guyliner but um yeah but so did mike know. ness yeah from social that, distortion, right? Totally. <laughs> so that's in a punk rock tradition too. Um, yeah, were you Billy, using book your own? Sorry. Oh, go on. No, I was. Just, I was just gonna say. I was just. <laughs> I was just gonna randomly say Billy Joe about Guyliner, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it wasn't. It didn't help our conversation much. Billy Joe. I'm just for the rest of this podcast. I'm just gonna say Billy Joe from time to time, Sick. just to remind us why we're here. Why we're all here. <laughs> Well, that you know, ultimately, he's a huge reason of why I'm here. So I, I definitely need to remind of that. Yeah, I love Green Day. I, I Absolutely, gen- genuinely do. Um, do were you speaking of Max Rock and Roll though? Were you using Book Your Own Fucking Life for these tours too? Um, we definitely. Sorry, I'm. Book? Sorry, I'm. Yes, I do know what you're talking about. I, I'm chewing on some avocado toast right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> do not worry. It sounds delicious. Um, um, I didn't mean that because you're chewing. I meant it sounds delicious to the concept of eating avocado <laughs> toast right now. So you're chewing. <laughs> sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> no, we we definitely had access to that. Like, I feel like they had that at the record store I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we maybe used that a little bit. I feel like 
we kind of um it was more like random connections we had made um like yeah just from like people bands coming through omaha making friends with bands that came and you know like like i mean this was like we were like writing people were like writing letters to each other and stuff and like sending tapes to each other you know and this is like ancient i yeah this is like the 1800s to phoebe she doesn't she never heard of so a letter is where you take a piece of paper Uh fold it up stick it in the thing um but no so like yeah it, it was definitely um piecemeal but i i do remember that book and i we probably like randomly sent our tapes to like clubs using that book for sure yeah it was it, at one point that was the uh that was like the twitter of the time right like that was the way to get in touch with people around the world was oh i, fi- a I finally understand okay <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i wasn't trying to i was saying that for myself to try and remember the old times because i'm only no this, myself. this is yeah this You're is entering into an ongoing riff between us yeah this is a constant riff um, we've been doing a lot of interviews and everyone wants to talk about like how old I am basically and how, <laughs> how young Vivi is and yeah and we yeah a lot of Twitter jokes going on but well, um, it, well it's funny because you brought it up earlier Connor like you know you're here you are running off with these like 19 year old kids when you're 15 but like punk is this weird neverland where it's completely age it seems to disappear a little bit you know and like I I remember being like 14, being like, mom, this is my 30 year old friend who's going to come over to the house and make me a tape. And it, my mom's like, okay, sure. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, I think that music does that. It's like one of the great things about music is it kind of breaks down all that, you know, age isn't really that important. Like one of my best friends, um, like I lost him last year, but like he'd been you know, my best friend for like 10 years is this dude, Gary Burden. He's like a art director, like made all these dope, like all like the Neil Young artwork and all this shit. Anyway, he was like, mm-hmm. you know, he was like 84 when he passed. But like when we were friends for like, you know, I mean, literally, he's like one of my best friends and he was like in his 70s. And it never occurred to me like how old he was because we talked about music. We went to shows. We like hung out and smoked absolutely and listened to records you know it's kind of like our relationship yeah. like i just never even think about it even though you were born in like 1810 it's crazy <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah i wouldn't I mean, know what that's like because i'm just a kid myself even though i'm actually one year older than connor but <laughs> but yeah i think it's i think it's cool that that about music yeah absolutely uh phoebe when you you know when you get signed to pax am was there like like, you know, that obviously that's like a huge label, like, you know, run by Ryan Adams. But was there like attention on the music you were doing before that? Like, what, did you feel like at a point like, oh, geez, like I'm like my friend in high school is going to get signed to a label. Like I've got people looking at what I'm doing now. Yeah, I like I met Ryan at a really, really weird time where where I was actually kind of talking to a lot of labels. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of just like but but I wanted to make a full length album and I was having a hard time like finding people that I gelled with on it um and then finally would meet Tony Berg actually like a couple days before I met Ryan so and Tony Berg produced my first record um and then yeah I met Ryan and it was kind of like hey like while you're dealing with all that fucked up weird like label shit or like you know people trying to people people were people I didn't really know what I was doing and people kind of didn't know what I was doing like some people were like, "Oh, cool! It's like Cheryl Crow or whatever," and then and then I met Ryan and he was like, "Oh, no, it's cool. We'll just record, 
for literally 20 minutes on a tape machine and it'll be out like next month. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was pretty rad. Cause it kind of like people heard it, people found me through it and kind of were like, Oh, I get what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. How did labels first find out about you? Is it just from like, you know, you know, slugging it out, doing it, or was there like a, a moment you felt that like attracted the people's attention to your music? Yeah, I mean, that's another crazy thing about living in L.A. and and also having so many friends and bands. Like, mm-hmm. I had friends and bands be like, you should go to Room 5 and check out my friend Phoebe, which is a venue with literally, like, 20 chairs in it above <laughs> a restaurant that I played yeah. all the time. I play, like, every Monday. Um, it's just so, yeah, it's it's such a weird universe. I met Linda Perry when I was really young, um, and she was, like, trying to get me to right with her and just like it's such a weird like so weird and giant but also so small like i i meet so many people now that i you know met when i was a teenager um Mm -hmm. yeah well it must have been wild to be like yeah a teenager and have all this pressure like yeah linda perry a huge songwriter that's worked with like how many hit artists and and not to mention her band itself uh coming up to you like you know you got music producers like it must be hard to kind of like retain like you're saying your own vision yeah yeah it was hard and I think it was just self-imposed pressure honestly um yeah because I didn't I didn't I remember they were like at my school they were like scouting for the voice and stuff I was like I know I didn't (laughs) want to do that yeah but it was but it was weirdly like I had a very I kind of like the opposite of a punk rock upbringing I had like kind of a very corporate like I'm a corporate pig (laughs) um yeah so it was kind of hard to like find like it was hard to it was hard to want to make music more than I wanted to have music if that makes sense like yeah it was it was hard to remind myself that I like actually think music is super cool when you know you're like out to dinner with some label dude who's like you know what would be actually better for your brand is if you like tweeted Elliot Smith lyrics more. That was a real life thing after me when I was like 19. Oh my God. I know dude. So people are so fucking out of touch. It's insane. And and so like, were these labels like hoping to sign you and then kind of mold you into some other like thing from the sounds of it i think so but 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 again like i didn't really know what i was doing i didn't really i was i wasn't really playing with a band at that point i was just playing like an acoustic guitar i'm so glad i met tony when i did because Mm -hmm. he is such a weirdo like he was he was ready to like have it not be a real genre (laughs) and like just (laughs) and just like start recording the songs and like fuck around and then after i put out the pack sam seven inch i started getting i had an agent and i started getting like real tour offers and i played with like violent femmes and was i was like touring at the same time as as like finishing my record so it took forever which was actually great because i got to kind of like figure it out as i went along so you were touring with the violent femmes before your record's done like you don't have anything what do you do you have anything out at that point well i just had the pack sam seven inch the pack sam seven inch so what was it like playing to those you know because obviously I imagine a violent femmes fan base is fairly died in the wool at this point. What's it like going and performing for them as kind of an unknown commodity? Oh, fu- like, wh- fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, it was the I worst. People were like, get this shit out of my ears right now. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I also played with like Julian Baker. Thank God, mm-hmm. like right before that. 
because I needed some like I needed to like feel good about myself. But yeah, I got like torn apart by like three thousand people. <laughs> it was rough. It was just like me and a guitar. Um, but then I would play with Julian, who I think is like super punk rock. Yes, um, she was just on the show last week. Oh, yeah. sick! Yay! Yeah, no, she's a so great punk. episode. Absolutely. And we would we were playing like grimy ass punk clubs, and she was just like silencing them like, uh, like it was church. It was mm-hmm. so crazy. I also played with Mitski in a similar environment where it was like, just kids that look like they're, you know, going to the smell to like mosh. We're just sitting on the floor of grimy venues, like watching with like huge eyes and like sobbing. Mm-hmm. Um, is really special. That's so what I think X Boy Genius X too, like with, you know, using the, well, Boy Genius, using the X Boy Genius X, like, you know, talking <laughs> about punk rock. I think it's like, once again, expanding this genre to what it was in the beginning. And like, you know, Connor Bright Eyes did this as well and uh, the Faint stuff too. But like, it, it's, it's just like, it's not, like the thing that makes this thing special is it doesn't have to be one set of rules. Like it, this should be a genre that's just like all of us kind of like, you know, coming from the same place, but ultimately doing whatever we want to do. Yeah, well, like nonconformist, right? I mean, isn't that the whole mm-hmm. idea of like punk rock? It's like you don't got to be like everyone else. You don't got to, you know, dress like everybody else. You don't got to think like everybody else. You know, I think that's like the, you know, that's the heart of it. And yeah, you're right. I think it can manifest itself in like, you know, sonically or stylistically in like a lot of different ways. But think it's really like yeah it's probably more a mindset than it is like a sound at this point you know mm-hmm. i think the first time i saw you play was like uh, at more than music festival okay where's it that? and uh is that the one in columbus ohio oh you got me but that sounds right i think i think the faint i think like the faint played too and then they backed okay. you up maybe okay. way back when but what was it like you know bright eyes is going out and playing in the beginning and it's it's the late nineties, you know, like what were those, like, how did you guys fit into the hardcore scene and the, the scene that was happening in the beginning at that point? I mean, we were very, I think, un, you know, not typical to most of the bills we got put on. We would be, it would be, you know, rock bands essentially like, um, pretty loud on, you know, hardcore um, which is another term that I always don't know what that means. Hardcore, but whatever, <laughs> like that, like, yeah, rock, loud rock bands, I would say most of the time. And we were like sitting in chairs. I was playing like an acoustic guitar. I mean, granted, it was like a lot of times like through amps and distortion pedals and stuff. But yeah, it was like um, we were kind of we were kind of weird for at that moment for what we were doing. And um, I guess I always thought of it was like kind of folk music, just like mm-hmm. experimental folk, whatever. But I definitely screamed. So, I mean, that, you know, and we had loud sec, we had loud parts to our songs at times. So, but we were always like changing our band and fucking around. And some, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we sounded like a lot of, we were pretty schizophrenic <laughs> as far as like mm-hmm. a band. Went. We, we, we tried a lot of different shit and a lot of times it, was like massive like failures you know <laughs> but like we were having fun and we were keeping ourselves entertained and you know i mean at the i guess at the core of it it was like 
you know, whatever my songs. So it was kind of like whatever songs I was writing and then getting like whatever friends I had around to like play them with me. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. very thought out. <clears throat> it's, it's funny because both of you come from almost like completely different environments uh, to where you found your sounds, right? Like it seems like Connor, yours, like not to say that there wasn't any pressure, but like it feels like, you know, you weren't under the watchful eyes of a music industry trying to trying to like figure yourself out. Whereas Phoebe, it seems like almost not right from the get-go, but at a certain point, all, all eyes are on you and people are already trying to put their their hands into your art. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, we talk about that a lot, just the sort of difference between, yeah, growing up LA versus Omaha, you know, and there's advantages to both. And I, I mm -hmm. definitely like, even though there is all this stuff we're talking about in LA, there's also like amazing fucking music that comes out of there. You know, it's not, it's not all like, you know, manicured by the industry or anything like no. that, but, but it is a different world and you're exposed to different stuff. And yeah, I mean, we just, I mean, we just didn't have really any kind of infrastructure or way. I mean, everything was just like, if you wanted to do it, you kind of had to do it yourself. And it wasn't like, it's cool to do it yourself. It was like, there was no other choice. <laughs> you know? It was like, mm -hmm. you just, there's just no one's going to give a shit ever, you know? So yeah, I think we just like our friends just, that's why we started putting out music basically. Phoebe, when you met Julian, did you kind of feel like now you'd found like the kindred spirit? Like you felt like this was you you're building a scene almost? Yes. At resentfully. So almost. Cause like three people sent me her album the same week that were all like, you'll love this. I was like, great. A chick singer songwriter. Thank you. Like I didn't <laughs> listen to it. Yeah. And then I listened to it and I was fucking floored and it was so crazy. And I saw her again in kind of like a weird spot in Eagle rock. And just, it was like the first time I opened for her in LA and I just was like floored. And then she opens her mouth to talk and she talks like me. She's like, what up dude? And like, doesn't take herself too seriously. And, um, yeah, it definitely was, it was. Yeah, it was the first time I ever felt like I met like a real peer. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and she kind of had a like a, a a similar thing. Like she had a band in high school that wanted to sound like the Killers as much as my band in high school wanted to sound like the Killers. And even though she was from Memphis, she was definitely like going on tours. And it seemed like our vibe was kind of similar. And then we both like deleted the band and just kind of like started from scratch to see what we sounded like really um yeah we're like it, yeah so cool was that like a, a a like a weird step to take like obviously you're friends with someone like did you know right from the beginning like oh it's gonna work us collaborating or is that like uh was it like a feeling out process creatively dude we the her, like the idea for the band is so crazy because she just one day to lucy was like I really just want to back someone up. I just want to like play guitar once. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think we had never really thought about it. Like we'd sing together like live. We sang at Eau Claire this year, but we, but the band, yeah, the band just kind of happened to us, which is so cool. Like we all happened to be, we're like, Oh, maybe we'll cover a song or something. And then it just gelled so fast. Like there was no pressure on us to do it. Um, and that was part of why it was so great. It just was so fun and cool because nobody was like making us do it. We weren't even like stressed about it. It just kind of happened. 
And so how does that, you know, collaborative process compare to like what, you know, Connor and yourself are doing right now? Like, I, like even like coming together, how did that differ for you? Well, I think like, actually it, it, it was kind of the same in the beginning. Like there was no pressure on Connor and I to like do anything just one mm. day after a show in Europe, Connor was like, Oh man, we should start a band that sounds like the replacements i don't know if we succeeded <laughs> but we like love the replacements um yeah See, it does and, always uh, come back to punk yeah it does uh and then and then just as, like creatively i mean i made the boy genius record the first like five days in june and then i made this record with connor like the the rest of the days so it felt like weirdly similar um but the age gap is cool and fun and different and like we the engineer Andy LeMaster has made like a million records with Connor it was cool making a record that's basically like my third ever thing uh with someone who's made like 45,000 <laughs> records before. um yeah it was just it was different just because like he's doing the thing that I like just a lot more years and of experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. How about with yourself, Connor? Like, what's what's the difference when you go into a, a collaboration process versus when you're doing something on your own? Well, I mean, besides, like, you know, I've I've had I've been in bands where it's like you write the song in the in the practice space, and like everyone's like, you know, you kind of jam out the song. So I've done that, but outside of that, I haven't really made. I mean, I've made some songs over the years with people, but I've never made like mm -hmm. a whole record with another songwriter, like writing all the songs together. And um, it was really, <clears throat> it was really cool. Just, you know, we didn't like, we didn't like exchange stuff over the internet or like bring in finished songs. You know, it was like very much like sitting with our guitars and like our notebooks and like writing the songs together. So <clears throat> that was like, um, you know, kind of the coolest part about it to me. And then, yeah, just like, I mean, Phoebe's like super like naturally gifted, like producer, like she thinks about, you know, she had like amazing ideas <clears throat> for like arrangements and sonic stuff, like even as you're writing the songs and she's like a, <clears throat> you know, probably, you know, much more kind of naturally gifted singer than I am so like she got me like singing harmony and um yeah I don't know I feel like kind of tried to like play to each other's strengths and like make something that we wouldn't have been able to make you know on our own or whatever so it's cool was that like a conscious decision you both had where you're like we don't want this to be where we're bringing in parts of songs or we're sketches of songs and we're collaborating over the internet we want to do this as like a real band no the opposite i feel like we're like yes yeah, send me ideas but we just never did <laughs> uh yeah total accident um, well it's a happy accident then right yeah. yeah for sure it was a it was a cool like difference between bands for me for sure um and so like now that you guys have done this are you guys you're touring this are you gonna tour yeah we tour in march april and then may in europe yeah. But you guys have been on tour together, so it's not like, I guess it'll change in the sense that you now have to go on the same time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, we have our, we have our first show tomorrow or 
Is it tomorrow? No. no two Next, days. In two days, our first show is the fucking Colbert TV show. So <laughs> we're kind of nervous. We have I'm this nervous. riff where, like, with the band that didn't even play on the record. We have, like, a different live band. And I love them all. But we're like, we're like, man, it's been so long. Long time coming since, like, our mom's basement 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, we just... Remember the days in the garage? You know? <laughs> we finally made it. We finally made it. Oh, yeah, it's going to be, it'll be cool, though. So, yeah, we're doing a couple little things. Like, the record comes out, obviously, like, in a couple days. And then, um, but the real tour, yeah, is, like, March, April, May. And the, so, like, beyond this, is there plans to do other things? Or is this, like, you kind of want to do this as a one-off thing and then go back to your respective other projects, right? Because it's, I guess that's the, the the you know, double-edged sword of doing something like this. Like, do you want to carry on forever or do you just do it as a one-off? I mean, I think, <clears throat> I mean, we obviously both have other stuff kind of going on. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we've really thought that far ahead. It's like the record's just coming out. I mean, I think assuming we stay friends and... Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would always love to make music with, with Phoebe, you know. I mean, I think it'd be rad if we made another record, but definitely, like not thinking that far down the line at this point yet yeah absolutely i don't mean to jump that far ahead because you yeah. know you're just doing your first show and all yeah <laughs> i just i i don't want to do like any more charity work after this you know yeah i'm just yeah. i'm <laughs> i'm just trying to i'm just trying to revitalize my career by riding phoebe's coattails for a second so as soon as i get as soon as i get my career back i'm you'll never see me again yeah no uh, but, but well, you're welcome you know well, if you ever need a guy to do show any parts, I need a career revitalization too over here. So uh, I'm down. Um, awesome. Uh, so yeah, I guess like, you know, from places where you guys started to be at the Colbert Report, I, it's like amazing how the pressures have have probably changed. Um, but at the same time, I, I can imagine it's still the same sort of butterflies in the stomach as the first time you played a show, no matter what the venue is. Yeah, I always I always get nervous. Like, I weirdly, I mean, TV is different or like cameras and that stuff makes me like doubly nervous. But I also find that like weirdly, like smaller shows sometimes make me more nervous when you can really see everyone like looking at you and like see all their faces. Like sometimes at like festivals and stuff, it's just like everyone just looks like wallpaper and mm -hmm. it doesn't really feel like it's like kind of like whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I still always get nervous for every show like at least a little bit before i go on which if i don't get nervous i'm freaked out because then i'm just like tired has that ever happened to you where you like yeah. don't get nervous and then you're like it's it's like you know the 86th show and a tour or whatever always but it's yeah i like getting nervous yeah nothing's worse than being exhausted on stage so yeah nervous at least you have that energy exactly kind of feed yeah. off well Thank you both so much for coming on the show. And I'd love to interview both of you in the future separately, or if you do another record together, but separately would be great too. Uh, would you, <laughs> either of you or both you come back in the future for our part two? Hell yeah. Of course. Count me Awesome. In. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, the new record's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Phoebe and Connor, Connor and Phoebe, thank you so much for coming on the show. That is a, uh, 
yeah, huge thrill. Thank you once again to everyone that made that possible and busted their butts. And, uh, of course, Connor and Phoebe for coming on the show. And they'll be back for part twos individually. You heard that at some point. Uh, but a huge honor to get them on the show. Digital Sex. Check out Digital Sex. Great band. Um, obscure band, but great band. If you can hear it, definitely hear it. Uh, that's it. Okay, on to episode 200. So here's the plan. Uh, in next week, there will be no Turned Out of Punk proper, right? Uh, we're going to have a, a week off. There's going to be a Turned Out of Punk footnotes. There's going to be this big celebration on Turned Out of Punk footnotes and, and, and a bunch of stuff going on there. And then I'm going to be coming back in two weeks with a very special Turned Out of Punk episode Zero. It's also going to be a, a cool episode with a bunch of people coming back on for some reflections leading up to episode 200. Uh, I'm going to make a big deal of this thing. Why not? Episode 200, big deal for me. I can't. I've never stuck to anything this long except for you know being a parent and uh, you know uh, being in the band. I guess I stuck with that that pretty long too. But anyway, so yeah, I'm going to make a big deal of this thing. So we're going to celebrate this thing. And so two weeks, it's going to be episode zero. Recently uncovered Sandy Miranda, the archivist, the genius, the amazing bass player and Fucked Up, uh, discovered an old interview that I did that she recorded with a very requested guest, a very, very requested guest. So we will be getting to that in uh, two weeks on the show. And there'll also be some other people coming back on for some reflections leading up because then three weeks, I guess, it's going to be the real episode 200. Episode 200 in three weeks is going to be featuring, well, me. Uh, Jonah Falco, former guest, drummer of Fucked Up, someone who's known me for probably the longest other than my brother, but that's for another episode. Uh, Jonah, who's been on the show before, is going to do a turn out of punk with me, and a lot of people have tried to do this. Uh, I don't think anyone's done it like this is going to be. This is going to be a fantastic episode, and so you're going to want to hear it. Um, that's it. Thank you very much to Vans for supporting this show. Thank you to you for listening to the show. Tell all your friends. Please go out there and make your own culture. Sign your organ donor cards. Check in on your friends. And uh, yeah, I love you. Stay safe. Thank you for listening. And I will see you, well, next week with footnotes, but two weeks with Turn It A Punk episode zero. And then three weeks, I can't believe I'm saying this, episode 200. <laughs>